Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it is so nice to be here with you this morning. Um, it's an honor and privilege to be here with you. And if you're new here with us, uh, kind of joining Chorus for the first time, um, I want you to know that my hope and prayer for all of us this morning is that we would be encouraged, challenged, and ultimately in this place that we'd be pointed toward a deeper life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's my hope and that's my prayer for us. And so I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn over to Genesis chapter 5 and then Revelation chapter 21. Genesis is the first book in the Bible and Revelation is the last book in the Bible. And uh, we'll be over there in a few moments. I've provided for you in your message notes all the places that we will turn to this morning. Feel free uh, to go ahead and turn to those places. We'll be all over the place. Uh, and I really want um, you to ask God, what is the one thing that I need to hear this morning? What's the one thing you want from me? Uh, you can't take away everything, but you can take away something. And God has something for you, unique, a custom-fit message that you need to hear this morning. I'll set the stage for where we're going by telling you a little bit about my personal life. Um, whenever my wife and I got married, we thought it'd be really easy to start a family. We thought it wouldn't take much work at all. We were so excited to be parents, and, and it turned out it's not so easy uh, to have children. We thought that it would be. I mean, you're in high school, someone looks at someone else, the next thing you know, you have three or four kids, you have a dog, you have an SUV, you have a house. I mean, it seems like it's just so easy. Of course it would be easy for us, but it wasn't. It was quite a struggle, quite a challenge. Uh, for us to have children. How many of you have been through a challenge in this last year or in this last couple years? Would you raise your hands really high this morning if you've been through something? If you haven't, some of us would like to give you some of our challenges so that you can experience challenges this morning. Challenges really do set the stage for us to experience God in great ways. You never know. Out of your misery could come the greatest platform you'll ever have for ministry. And what we often see is something that is limiting us in all reality, maybe God's saying, I want you to leverage that for my glory and for your joy. What you see as kind of this setback may be God's way of setting you up for something new, something fresh, something unexpected, something great for you and for your family. And that was the case for us. We, we tried um, for several years. We, we did just about everything. And, and there came this point in time where my wife and I said, uh, we want to move forward in adoption. We'd always talked about adoption, and so we took steps to head in that direction. And, and this year, July 22nd, we welcomed home our newborn baby girl, Maggie Grace Hope Kennedy, into our family. And it's been amazing. It's been wonderful. In fact, I brought a picture of Maggie here. She is something else. She, she slept through the night for the first time last night. So, yes, thank you. Yes, that's worth applauding for right there. That's certainly worth celebrating. I mean, we love this little girl so much. And throughout the years, I really have thought about this question. And I know many of you are parents in the room, and, and you have deeper reflection when it comes to this question. But I thought, what is, what's the one thing I want for her the most? I mean, there's all these things. What's like the one thing? I want her to know, love, and serve Jesus. But when it comes to my relationship with her, what do I want so much for this little girl? I've, I've actually picked her up at 2 in the morning and just held her and, and prayed for her. And I've, I've thought about that. What is the one thing? And I've come to this conclusion. What I want most for this little baby girl, when it comes to my relationship with her, is I want her to know that her dad loves her unconditionally. No matter what choices she makes, 
what choices she doesn't make, whatever season of life she goes through, I want her to know that I love her unconditionally. I love her. I love her. I will breathe my last breath loving this little girl. And I want her to know no matter what goes on in her life, I just want to be around her. I want to do life with her. I don't want to just show up in her life. I want to help her grow up in life. Like, I want to be there with her. I want a deep relationship with her. I want to be there when she takes her first steps and and when she puts on a little backpack and heads off to school. I want to be there when she drives a car for the first time. I want to be there whenever she gets married at age 74 because that's an appropriate age for her to get married. I want to be there with her. I want to be with her. I want her to be able to say at 6, 16, 60, I know that my dad loves me and wants just to be with me. I think it's appropriate to ask this question. What do you think God wants most from you? Like our Father in heaven, what is his greatest desire for you? What is his greatest desire? If I were to ask you that question, some of us may think what God wants most is the things that he wants to do in me. He wants to change and transform my heart. He wants to conform me into the image of his Son. That's what he wants most. And that is true, but that's not his number one desire, in my opinion. Some of you may say, what God wants most is what he wants to do through me. Like, he has these great plans, and he's given me talents and gifts and and people in my life for a reason. And so he wants to do something through me. And that's true, but I don't think that's God's number one desire. I think God's number one desire is not what he wants to do in us and not what he wants to do through us. I think God's number one desire for our lives is that he would do life with us. That you were created by God. You were created for God. You were created for a relationship with God. And he wants to do life with you. I think all of Scripture points to this. All of Scripture does. When you open up the very beginning, this first book of the Bible, Genesis, the book of beginnings, that's what the word Genesis really means, You have 49 verses that are dedicated to the world that has been created and 49 chapters that are dedicated to God being with people. God was with Adam and God was with Eve and and we see that they said, I'm going to do life without you. And as a result of that, there's a broken relationship with God. There's a broken relationship with each other. There's a broken relationship with the world that they live in. But that doesn't change God's desire. God pursues God says, I want to be with you. And we see this all over the place. In Genesis chapter 5, where I asked you to turn, there's a story of this individual named Enoch, and I love this. It's so weighty, it's so beautiful, it's so rich, and it's so deep. And this is the description of Enoch's life. Would you listen to this? In Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. There was an individual who walked, with God, who delighted so much in being with God that every day he sees the divine invitation, the discipline and delight of being with God. And God delighted in that so much that he said, I want to spend even more time with you. Turn over to Genesis chapter 6. You're in Genesis chapter 5. Again, we see this everywhere. In Genesis chapter 6, we're introduced to this man named Noah. And we know that Noah made this decision in front of everyone else to obey God by building an ark. You can imagine what that must have looked like in his context. What are you doing? I'm building an ark. There is going to be a flood that's coming. Are you crazy? Where do you get this conviction and confidence that this is what God has called you to do? He gets this from being with God. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. 
Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And it says four words that capture his life so well. Noah walked with God. With God. Another person who said, I will do life with God. I will be with God. We see this all over the place, Chorus Church family. You could turn to Genesis chapter 12. You'd read the story of a man named Abraham who God gave this vision for a nation, the nation Israel. And what does Israel mean? It means one who wrestles with God, that, that this whole nation is this group of people who are constantly in a wrestling match with God. And God gave him this vision and this promise, but attached to this promise was the promise of God's presence. I will go where you go. I will be with you. By the time we're finished with Genesis, we know that this group of people said, thank you, but no thank you, God. I will do life without you. And as a result, they end up in exile. God uses an uncanny individual named Moses. God was with Moses to deliver them out of Egypt and take them toward this journey of a new and promised land. And why did God deliver them out of Egypt? Exodus chapter 29, verse 46. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And here it is that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. God wanted to be with them. All through scripture, you see it, you see it in the prophets. God was with Isaiah. He was with Jeremiah. He was with Ezekiel. And then the last book of the Old Testament ends. 400 silent years begin, and the New Testament opens up, and we have this great and glorious truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. Jesus, the Savior King, to rescue the people, to, to give them forgiveness for their sin, and give them a relationship with God, not just here and now, but for all eternity. And what is the name given of Jesus? It dates all the way back to this prophecy in Isaiah. In Matthew chapter 1, we read this in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means what, church? God with us. God says, I will be, I will be with you. That's my number one desire. It's not just about what I want to do in you or through you. I want to be with you. And we know that when we give our life to Jesus, that we receive the Holy Spirit. God is, is with us. And then there's coming this day in Revelation. At the very end, there's coming a day where God says, I'm going to do incredible things. The world that is is not the world that will be. We even know that Jesus sends out 12 disciples. He commissions them to go and to make disciples, and he gives them this promise of his authority, but he also gives them the promise of his presence. He says, I want you to go and I will be with you, because that is a consistent promise throughout Scripture. And when we get to Revelation chapter 21, the Apostle John is given this vision, a vision of finally sin being overcome, a new heaven and a new earth. And what's there? Revelation chapter 21, let's read together, starting at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. Those are such beautiful words. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall no be, will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Extraordinary. God says, I want to be with you. And you may wonder, why in the world am I telling you this today? I'm telling you this today because what is really sunk into my mind and my heart 
and I've watched it in my own life and so many of the other people that I get to do life with is we get so captured with this thought of God wanting to do things in us and we turn our lives into God's project like he's bored or something. Or we get so captivated with this thought of God wanting to do something through us that we are just a distribution center for his kingdom and he wants us, but he doesn't need us. And I think we need to come back to this central truth. Your God who loves you so much, his number one desire is to be with you, to have a deepened relationship with you. That is God's desire. I think that our churches are often full of people who are overwhelmed and absolutely exhausted because they do things in the name of Jesus but without the power of Jesus. That we have parents who tell our kids about God, they just never see us spending any time with God. That, that we find pastors that are constantly burned out, not just in the U.S., internationally. It is a phenomenon because they're doing so many things for God, they just don't slow down to be with God. And God says, what I want most is your heart. What I want most is your life. I want you to be with me. I'm giving you a divine invitation. It's a discipline. It's a delight. But every day you should know you have the opportunity to do life with me. I paid the highest price for you. There is no higher price that I paid. I want to do life with you. And so this morning, in the remainder of our time, I want to answer this question. What does it look like in a normal day to do life with God? What does it look like? If we had a, a new, fresh day, what would it look like for us to spend a day with God? We don't need to retreat to the hillside. We don't need to become monks. There are things that we can do practically when it comes to actually doing life with God. And there's so many people who have given so many thoughts to this. I'm indebted to their thoughts, but I want to share with you this morning, I encourage you to take down notes because I'll let you in on a significant truth. If you can learn to cultivate and spend one day with God, you can learn to cultivate and spend every day with God one day at a time. A life with God is a collection of days with God. So what does it look like, church family? It starts with this. It starts with a night of rest. A night of rest. The first step in this daily invitation of spending time with God is a night of rest. If I were to ask you, when does the day begin? Most of us would say the day begins when my alarm clock goes off, when the sun comes up, when I have my first cup of coffee. And by the way, adding French vanilla creamer to that coffee, because French vanilla creamer is just that outstanding. That's when the day begins. But in Scripture, the day doesn't begin in the morning. The day begins in the evening. In Genesis chapter 21, Genesis chapter 1, sorry, you see this over and over again, this phrase, there was evening and there was morning. There was evening and there was morning. There was evening and there was morning. The Sabbath, when does the Sabbath begin? Well, in Scripture, the Sabbath begins in the evening. That for God, the day begins in the evening. A strange thought to us. Eugene Peterson writes this, and this is so good for us to hear this morning. People in the Old Testament days understood that everything doesn't depend on us. We go to sleep, but who is at work? God is at work. The day belongs to God. We go to sleep, but God is at work. That is a beautiful thought. We go to sleep, but God's at work. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this, that we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That God is a God at work. 
And maybe you've never thought about this before, but the very act of sleeping, the very act of resting is a display of faith and trust in God. That you going to sleep is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. And I think we are a group of people in our culture and churches that are absolutely exhausted and we hurry to do everything. We hurry home to watch the game. We've, we've DVR'd it so we can watch the game even faster and get more games in. We talk to people on the phone in a hurry. We, we check Facebook in a hurry. We check our emails in a hurry. We're constantly, constantly in a state of being in a hurry. We're at the grocery store, and we're looking at other lines to see if their line is moving just a little bit faster. And if it is, we will move over to that line. We're constantly doing things in a hurry. We even go through restaurants called fast food restaurants because we love to eat in a hurry, just as God intended for us to eat in a car driving 70 miles an hour. We do everything in a hurry. Barbara Brown Taylor, and I highly recommend her book called Divine Subtraction, says it best. Some of us have made an idol out of exhaustion. The only time we know that we've done enough is when we're running on empty and the ones we love the most are the ones that we see the least. When we lie down at sleep at night, we offer our full appointment calendars to God in lieu of prayer, believing that God, who's as busy as we are, will surely understand. Will surely understand. We need rest. God has created us with limitations, and that's purposeful and intentional by God himself. Psalm 127 says, in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. One person writes it like this, rest and I think you will discover an amazing truth, a sobering truth. There's a real good chance, even if you don't do any work all day, there's a real good chance the sun will come up tomorrow. Because it isn't your world. God created it. God sustains it. And when you rest, you realize that's true. And until we learn to be able to rest in God, I don't think we'll ever be able to risk for God. Rest is an act of faith. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to consider this evening, starting out for the first time, going, I'm going to spend an entire day with God. I'm going to seize this divine invitation. And I want you to consider doing two things. One is confession. Sitting at your bed and just being open before God and confessing anything that's going on in your life. God, here's what's taking place. Here's, here's what has happened. Maybe you need to write something down. Maybe you even need to make a call. There's nothing that sleeps so well as a clear conscience. And just confess before God. And then slow down to just simply say, God, I give you this night, this new day, and I pray that you would protect my mind and heart as I rest, that you would give me energy for a new day. I cast all my anxieties on you because you care for me. That's what scripture says. And so I go to rest knowing that you are still a God who is at work. A night of rest. And then you wake up in the morning. Most of us don't give thought to the words we say in the morning. I mean, it's not something that we actually intentionally think about. But we're going to start intentionally thinking about it because there's this divine invitation of doing life with God that, that everything's sacred, that we have an opportunity when we wake up in the morning to really organize our first words around being with God. And so I want to encourage you, the first words that come out of your mouth, may they be this. God, thank you for a good night's sleep. 
thank you for a new morning. You sow gratitude in your life, the result becomes a life of generosity. Gratitude starts the foundation for generosity. You find people who are stingy, you'll find people that aren't grateful. Sow gratitude at the very beginning of your day. The first words out of your mouth. The first words. You can say anything, but you're doing life with God. The first words out of your mouth. Thank you, God. And then we typically stumble to the shower in this kind of fog. We make our way over the shower. How many of you take showers in the morning? Would you raise your hand really high this morning? If you take showers in the morning. The rest of you who don't take showers in the morning, we don't want you to raise your hand too high. We're fine with that, okay? And we get in the shower. We really don't think about the shower much. I mean, we just kind of go through the motions, but not anymore because everything's a divine invitation to be with God. And so I want you to consider the shower as a shower of grace. That you get in the shower and you have this water running over you. And it is a display of God's grace. Now, what is grace? Grace is more than we deserve. It's greater than we imagine. Grace is the root of the gospel. Peace becomes the fruit of the gospel. It's the root of the gospel. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is the one-way, unconditional love of God for us. Grace is reading texts that say, but God demonstrated his love for us, and we were yet sinners Christ died for us. It's grace that God looks in the face of our sin. He sends his son, that we put our faith, hope, and trust in him, and we get life, not just in the here and now, but for all eternity. Grace. Grace. It's an amazing Amazing, beautiful gift of God. And I think so often we, we run frantically and we pursue things. I want you to hear this. We pursue things that we actually already have in Jesus. That we have this temptation in a given day to try to trust in things smaller than Jesus or to look for things larger than Jesus. And there's nothing smaller than Jesus that will do and nothing larger than Jesus that exists for our true sense of satisfaction and peace. When we put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, now we do life with God, not to somehow another earn his acceptance. We do life with God because in Christ we are fully accepted. We don't do life with God to somehow another earn forgiveness. We do life with God because in Christ we have been fully forgiven. Can someone please say amen? We do life with God because we are a part of his family by grace. And we forget that so much. How many of you have ever lost your keys before how annoying is it right you're getting ready to go somewhere you've got an important meeting and then you go i don't know where my keys are at and you start turning your house upside down nothing is off limits you're lifting up the dog to see where the keys might be you're opening up the refrigerator you've got cabinets open where are my keys and then maybe you do what i do i'm willing to admit it this morning what i will say is out loud to my wife Rebecca, what did you do with the keys? Because I'm sure she did something with them. I mean, I start exercising my spiritual gift of blaming others. Where are my keys? And you're so frustrated, and then your hands fall to your waist side and hit your pocket, and you realize your keys are in your pocket. You ever had that happen to you? You're searching all over the place, and, and you find your keys are right in your pocket. What you've been searching for all along, you already have. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. So many times we pursue things we already have in Christ. We don't need to go out and get something new. We need to go deeper in what we already have. 
His grace is sufficient. The last time I checked, the banner over your life as a follower of Jesus is, it is finished. And when you get in that shower and you let the water run down, just for a moment will you slow down and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Thank you that you forgive me. Thank you that you accept me. Thank you that you wash me clean because people who understand they're forgiven are able to forgive others. People who understand that they are fully accepted by God are able to accept others. People who understand the, the way in which God has scandalously loved them are able then to love others, motivated by that same grace. And you get out of the shower, and you start to make your way over and get coffee. I love coffee. I've said this before. I love coffee. And we typically, we get coffee and and we head on about our day. It's just a normal day. We get our coffee or we get whatever we drink, tea, whatever it is, and we're just on our way. But not this day. And I want to challenge you to see coffee as time to spend with God and His Word. I want to challenge you just to spend 15 minutes every morning with God and His Word. Are devotionals good? Yeah, devotionals are great, but they are not the Word of God. And too many of us know what other people say about Jesus. We just don't know what Jesus said himself. Too many of us sit up under God's word. We're just not in God's word ourselves. Can we be honest? I want to encourage you for 15 minutes just to spend time with God. I remember a pastor encouraging me to do the same thing a while back, a long while back. I remember the story that he shared. He shared this on numerous occasions. I've listened to it in various different ways, but... He was challenging his church family 15 minutes with God and his word every single day. 15 minutes at least. And then let it grow from there if you want. But at least 15 minutes with God and his word. So the guy came up to him and the guy said, that's easy for you to say. You're one of those professional Christians. You get paid basically to spend time with God. The rest of us, we have something called a job, okay? And our life gets really busy and really hectic. And I go in at 5 in the morning. I commute into the city at 5 in the morning. I don't have time to spend with God like you do. The pastor replied by saying, I found that people are able to do what they value. And when someone values something enough, they make time, even when they don't have time. And he didn't think he'd see the guy again. Well, later on, several months later, he saw this particular guy and his wife, and they actually invited this pastor over for dinner. So he went to dinner. While he was at dinner at this particular person's house, he walked in, and the guy said, i got to show you something. I want to show you something. So he walked into the living room, and he showed him this rocking chair. And he said, remember when you challenged us? You said, spend at least 15 minutes with God. I, I went, and I purchased the rocking chair, and I put it by this window. And, and for 15 minutes, I get up at 4 in the morning, and I just sit in that chair, and I just pray, and I read God's Word, and I reflect, and I ask God to open up my heart, to give me more of a sensitive heart toward Him. I want to thank you for challenging me. The pastor said, well, how's that been going for you? His wife chimed in. She heard him in the other room. I'll tell you how it's been going for him. It's been amazing. It's changed his life. It's changed our family. I'm so glad for it. It wasn't long after that 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 particular person came in to see this pastor and said, I really think that, that God's been putting it on my heart to actually serve this church, to leave the marketplace and to come serve. The pastor said, wait a minute, hold on, we can't pay you, we can't afford you, we, we don't have really any finances right now. The guy said, that's okay. I've done really well in the marketplace. I want to come, I want to serve 
this church faithfully. Where did you get this idea from? I got this idea from sitting in that chair, spending time with God and His Word every morning. It wasn't long that He served that church for several years. He was an amazing staff member. He went on to help another church in a different state. He actually went back into the marketplace and used his resources to help this church out. Later on, he had cancer. The cancer was fast spreading and it eventually took his life. This pastor was able to go out and do the funeral. And afterwards, he's sitting with the wife. And she says to him, I I cannot thank you enough. I cannot thank you enough for challenging him to spend 15 minutes in God's Word every morning. He made some of the most important decisions of his life in that chair. He became a different father. He became a different husband. He became a different leader. Our family went on quite a journey. Thank you so much. She, he said, well, what are you going to do with the chair? She said, I'm going to give that chair to our grandchildren. I can't think of anything better to give them than this chair in hopes that they will do the same exact thing, that they'll spend time with God and His Word. Can I ask you something this morning? Do you have a chair? Do you have a place where you spend time with God and His Word? Do your children, for some of you that are parents, ever see their mom, their dad, spending time with God and His Word? There is a daily invitation. And the daily invitation is a delight and a discipline for you to actually be with God. Please hear me. More than God wants to do something in you, more than God wants to do something through you, He simply wants to be with you. And when you come to His Word, you find out there are examples to follow, there are lessons to learn, there are promises to be enjoyed, and there is Jesus Christ to be revealed. Because He is the hero of Scripture. To be with God. To be with His Word. And then, we get in our car, and we head off to work. And again, most of us don't think about that. We usually get in our car, and we do business in our car. I mean, we make phone calls in our car. We check emails in our car. It's amazing how many people can multitask driving so fast. I want to challenge you not just to see your commute as getting from one place to the next, but to see your commute as a commute of worship, as a commute of maybe even solitude. I asked our worship team, I said, you know, would you put together a CD for me of, of several worship songs. This has been several years back. I still have that CD in my car, and I play it every day. And you may go, wait a minute. What happens if someone else sees you singing out loud in your car? I don't care. I'm not singing for them. I'm singing for him. This is about orienting my life around my Savior, my King, whose grace is sufficient. 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. John Ortberg puts it this way, worship at its heart is God-centered. Worship is all about God. It's not about getting my needs met. It's not about my preferred style. 
not about my personal taste. In worship, we gather and encounter the presence of the living God, and we declare his greatness and his goodness and his glory every single morning as an opportunity to get in your car and to worship your king. A daily invitation, sometimes discipline, sometimes delight, to be with God. And then you get to work. Some of us love our jobs, and others of us are looking for a new job for many reasons. And you get to work. And sometimes we see work as a whole different space. We don't see it as a sacred space, but everything is a sacred space to God. Everything is. And even at work, it's an opportunity to glorify God because Scripture tells us as followers of Jesus that we don't just work for the people around us or someone who might be above us. We work for God. That everything we do, we can do in Jesus' name. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The theologian Martin Luther put it this way, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Everything you do. What would happen if you did work with God? What would happen if you were making a decision in the workplace and instead of making that decision in some hurried fashion, you got away for just a moment and you said, God, is there anything you want on my heart? Is there anything that you're speaking to me? God, help me make this decision. What about interacting with those difficult people in our life? Does it, do you have what I have, which are called EGR people in your life? Extra grace required people? You know what I'm talking about? Not the easiest to get along with? What would happen in the conflict if you just stopped and you said, God, would you give me strength to handle this with grace because you're a God who has given me grace? What would happen? There's something else that occurs in the workplace, and that is these things called interruptions. You're trying to get something accomplished. You're trying to finish some project, and then all of a sudden you get interrupted. Ever been interrupted while you're trying to do something important? And it's frustrating, and it's sometimes downright annoying, but I want you to see that your interruptions could possibly be an invitation of God for something greater. No matter how mundane something is, the miraculous waits to be enwrapped within it. I'm not saying every interruption, but definitely some interruptions are God saying, I want to draw you in, I want to do something great in your life. When you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus is constantly interrupted. And it's in those interruptions that are our greatest miracles, right? Jesus is sleeping. He's interrupted to address a storm that's raging, and he does. Jesus is on his way from one place to the next. He's interrupted, and he ends up healing a woman who has an issue of bleeding. Jesus is teaching. It's an important message, and all of a sudden the roof starts to cave in as four friends lower, one friend that they care so much about, and Jesus is interrupted and heals them. What if your interruptions are really the divine invitations that God says, I want to do something in this moment special? I was at a pastor's conference, and that was the case for me. I was doing something that I thought was important and needed my attention and focus, and then someone starts talking about this subject of discipleship, helping other people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And they ask the question, so how are you doing? 
I can't answer that question right now. I've, I've got something else that I'm working on. I can't even address those right now. I mean, that's such an interruption in my life. Right now, I'm focused on going in this direction. But it was from that interruption that really God had me look in the mirror and look at our church family and answer this question. How do we help people become followers of Jesus who are discipled and who get Jesus' vision to disciple others? came from an interruption. Interruptions are opportunities. And then you have to eat. All of us have to eat. I'm always shocked by the fact that that as followers of Jesus, sometimes we push away from the table and we don't even slow down to thank God who gave us the resources to have the food that we have. And sitting down and eating every single time is an opportunity, divine invitation to express gratitude to God. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7, eat your bread with joy. Every meal ought to be a meal of celebration. God, thank you. Thank you for providing for us. Thank you, Lord. And as God brings something on your heart and mind to pray for someone, pray for them. If you tell someone you're going to pray for them, pray for them right then and there. Don't wait. Pray for them. And then you have this commute home. And on this commute home, it's a great time to just reflect. Reflect at the ways that God has met you during your day. Reflect on the ways that God has stretched you, the things that have went on in your life. And then in the evening, you get to do it all over again. A new day with God. I'll show you one story and we'll be finished this morning. When my wife and I got married, we talked about doing gifts for each other uh, before we actually stood up and exchanged vows and rings. And so we set a price for how expensive those gifts were going to be. It was $50. That was the maximum. And I pulled my best man aside and I said, I would like for you to find out what my wife plans on getting me because I want my gift to be better than her gift. Yes, I do. So would you investigate? Would you find out? Whatever she's giving, that's fine. You don't have to tell me. Just let me know. Is my gift better than the one that, that she is going to get? And I plan on getting her like a, a duck and some, not a real duck, a plastic duck and uh, uh, some bathing supplies and stuff like that. I thought, oh, it would be great. Maybe first bath, you know, right after getting married. I mean, that would be great. Maybe some other things. Well, he comes back and he says, the gift that you're going to get is so much better than the gift she's getting you. Yes. Perfect. For that day I showed up and, and we get ready, we're getting dressed, and I remember walking in and these white walls, and there's this, this dark green car carpet. I can't ever forget this carpet. And I walk into the center of the room, and there's a box, and on the top of the box is a Bible, and it has our family name, Kennedy Family Bible. I think that's really beautiful. That's, that's an incredible gift, but that wasn't the gift. I lift up the Bible, and, and there is this envelope, and inside the envelope, it just simply says, you have all of me, nothing is hidden. That's strange. So I put that down, and I lift the lid off of the box, and inside the box are all my wife's journals. And my wife is a journaler. All the way from fifth grade on through middle school and high school and college and grad school, all of her heart writes in there. And so I'm sitting there in that moment. I just look over at my best man. I say, you are fired, okay? <laughs> I get her trinkets, and she gets me her heart? Are you kidding me? You're done. Are you kidding me? 
My wife gives me her heart. She invites me into knowing her more. Chorus Church family, God has given you the greatest gift. And do you know what that is? It's the gift of himself. And every single day you have a daily invitation to have a deeper, brighter, fuller relationship with the God who created you, loves you, sent his one and only son for you, and invites you into relationship with him in the here and now, not just for eternity. Every single day, a daily invitation. God says, I love you. I want to do life with you. Every single day, the gift of himself. You know what the greatest gift that you could give your family is? The greatest gift that you could give Chorus Church? The greatest gift that you can give your city here? It's the gift of being with God. If you will be with God, the way you treat your resources will change. The way you treat your family will change. The way you treat community will change. The way you treat your gifts and talents and time, all that will change. It will take care of itself. If you'll give God your life, and spend each day with him. I want to ask the worship team to come this morning. As the worship team is coming, I invite you to stand with me. More than God wants to do something in you. More than God wants to do something through you. God wants to be with you. So with every head bowed, every eyes closed, I'd like to ask you this question this morning. What are you doing with God's daily invitation? Would you just be open and honest right now before God? Is the only time you really spend time with God and His Word on a Sunday morning? Or are you seizing this daily invitation to be with God? Has it been months or years since you've actually spent time with God? I want you to hear this morning that your God loves you so much. Maybe you're here today and you haven't given your life to Jesus and God's greatest desire to why He created you was to have a relationship with Him. And right then and there, I pray that God seizes your heart and you give your life to Him. So you say, I'm a sinner and I need you as my Savior. Would you come in? Would you make all things new? I want to ask you to do this as we enter into worship. Would everyone open their eyes for just a moment? I want you just to hold out your hands just like this. Hold them out. I want you to keep them like this as we move into worship. I want you to hold them out just like this as a, as a posture of receiving this morning. I want to pray over you. Father, I pray over Chorus Church. I pray over every single person who's here. I pray over the women's retreat that's taking place right now. Deep in our minds and hearts, Lord, I pray that we would let it sink in, your invitation to be with us. I pray as a church family that we wouldn't just hear this word and not do anything with it. I pray that it would inspire us fresh and anew to have fresh encounters with you, that we wouldn't live off of old encounters with you, but we would experience you fresh and new in our lives right now. That it would start today. It would start this evening. 
that this would be a church family that takes seriously the discipline and delight of being with you. And out of that, Lord, would you make this church family such an incredible disciple-making church that invests in the lives of other people, who helps them understand the vision of Jesus to go and make disciples. And all along the way that we would honor you, all along the way that we would glorify you and worship you in every turn and every way. We thank you for all that you do, God, and we enter into worship right now.